What is up, everybody? Welcome to Bench Chatter, the common man's NBA podcast. But tonight, we're coming at you with the common man's NCAA college basketball podcast because we have the very first reoccurring guest, Ryan Coleman, on to break down March Madness for us. Noah, why don't you give Ryan a, a Bench Chatter greeting? Ryan, uh, congratulations, you know, on being the first two-time guest on Bench Chatter. It's a very big achievement, I know. Uh, We're glad to have you here. Yeah, thank you guys for having me again. I feel like I've uh, won my own bracket for March just by uh, making it through the second round. First ever uh, back-to-back or two-time guest. I I really do feel honored. I, I might print out my own plaque, you know, put it up in my room just because this might be the greatest accomplishment of my life. Yeah. We're uh we're sending you the the big one of those big checks for five dollars, <laughs> but it's gonna be like a five by five check that you can just hold up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you like, can't cash yeah, it. You like can't even. You cannot cash yeah, it. Yeah, no, no, no. Of course not. It will yeah, bounce our like... bank account. <laughs> it'll be like in in Happy Gilmore when he like keeps winning and getting like fifth place at all the tournaments and he just like pulls out of the parking lot at one point and there's just like 15 big checks in his back seat just like piled up <laughs> it'll be like that like every time you come on the show ryan we'll print one out for you no that'd be great i'd love that perfect well ryan you know just we gave you the background you're the dfs guy you write articles, you're in tune with the NBA, college basketball, MLB. Why don't you break down what you've been doing recently in terms of college basketball for us? Give you your five minutes, your two minutes to plug what you've been up to there because I know you've been up to stuff. I have been up to a lot of stuff, yes. So um, ever since the bracket dropped and even during the conference tournament, I've been doing a lot of research for March Madness and for college basketball. I write for bettingpros.com. I uh, just posted a Cinderella guide, which is basically giving a rundown of every seed, every team seeded 13 to 16. Uh, there's a lot of talent in those seeds. I actually think there's a lot of intrigue in the uh, 15 versus 2 matchups this year. But other than that, I've just plugged in away that. I've been doing some game previews, some team previews, some just general strategy for building a bracket for big pools and small pools and medium pools. So um, I'm really excited for that, and I really hope that I'm right. It feels good to be right. There's so many emotions that come into March Madness, and I love it so much. There's that excitement of the bracket drop and the happiness of filling out your bracket and the disappointment of being really wrong early on, but then the excitement of maybe getting the championship team right. So there's a lot of emotions. There's a lot to look forward to. I'll be doing a lot of Sweet 16 and Elite 8 and Final Four game previews. So, yeah, be on the lookout for that. Wow. Bada-bing, bada-boom. So we we brought you on because I don't want to speak for Noah, but I, I don't consider myself an NCAA expert the way that I would consider the way that I follow the NBA. Noah, would you say that's accurate? Yeah, I would agree as well. Um, I don't really keep up with college basketball that much. I do watch the Indiana Hoosiers play, but that's a pretty sad time every game. So I don't really like watching them. And then I really just watch uh, college teams that have NBA prospects on them because I find that the most fun. But I'm here. I'm ready to learn about uh, how to fill out a bracket, what I can do to win these pools, and I hope Ryan can spill some knowledge onto me. Yeah, Noah, you heard Ryan say before we started recording that he's willing to refund any and everybody who doesn't win their office pool, right? Ryan said if my bracket wasn't a perfect bracket, he would Venmo all of our listeners $5 each, a giant check to their house. Oh, my Gosh. Oh, jeez. Venmo them a giant tech check to their house. Yeah. yeah. The <laughs> caption would be giant check. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the cost of printing yeah. out the giant check would be more than the actual file. Oh, yeah. You're losing a lot of money here, Ryan. Oh, no, gosh. So you better come it's, with the right pick. Pressure, pressure is on. <laughs> yeah, that's what we're saying. So, Ryan, let's, let's take a 
the first half of this episode and kind of break down without going into specifics of teams but looking at the historical implications of what makes a bracket good what makes a team succeed and the overall strategies that one can take in filling out a bracket before you even break down any matchups uh, how can we how can we start there and what tips do you have for the listener yeah, that's a really good question and definitely something that people got to consider a lot more um, when filling out the bracket. And generally speaking, everyone really loves to focus on first round upsets and just like those Cinderella teams and the potential of that. But historically speaking, there really hasn't been that many. And even when there are, they don't last that long at the tournament. So you'll get your occasional, you know, 14 over three or even 15 over two. Um, the 12 over fives, 11 over sixes are pretty common. But what's important to remember is that you really have to nail your final four and you really have to get, you know, six or seven out of the lead eight right. Because almost for all um, pools and the way they're set up, especially in ESPN, which I know is the most common one, you get more points as the rounds progress. So like the, the championship game is the same amount of points as all of the first round combined. So I think every uh, every round is 320 points. So you really have to get the champion right. You really got to nail that final four, especially for the bigger pools. And, and that's how I won last year is having Auburn in my final four was a rare pick, but or two years ago, I guess. But I got that right. And yeah, so really got to focus. That's how I kind of generally build my bracket is start with my final four and then work backwards just because those first round upsets are fun mm-hmm. to pick. But you know, 80% of the time, 90% of the time, those 13, those 14 seeds that win in the first round don't advance on past that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, phenomenal humble brag, by the way, to slide in there that you won a bracket. I'd like to also humbly point out that I won a bracket two years ago by also picking Auburn to go all the way. And I'd like to remember to the listener that Auburn was absolutely screwed out of the title game. Virginia carried the ball with five seconds left, and the refs just failed to acknowledge it, which is why Virginia ended up winning. I don't think about it all that often, but I think about it enough, (laughs) you know? I remember watching those those highlights with you a couple weeks ago. Yeah, that's... uh, I... People are quick to forget that who picked Virginia to win, and I am one of those people. They got very incredibly lucky, and I mean, that's part of the game, but no, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. So I know that I've seen a lot of stuff recently about just the the first-round matchups and maybe limiting the number of upsets that you pick to three or four was actually a philosophy that I saw on TikTok because when you look at it from just a purely statistical standpoint – when you're not looking at an individual matchup and, you know, you might look at a matchup and understand it and say, hey, like, I really do believe that this 12 seed matches up with this 5 seed really well. I think they're going to win. On average, I believe it's like 5 seeds win like 70% of those games. So if you just look at it on a on a scale, if you pick 4 or 5 seeds to win, you're probably going to get three of the four games right whereas if you try to pick a 12 seed the odds that you get that 12 seed right are about one in four so let's say you get that one wrong you know the odds then that the uh, another game was the 12 seed now you're like down to like 50 percent do you see what i'm saying i think i'm putting like, picking up almost, what you're pick, like, putting down lots of numbers but yeah yeah lots of numbers it's like getting the one wrong it's like trying to identify it yeah 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 yeah. i got i think i got you like on a blanket just like picking all five seeds is a safer and probably more beneficial choice than trying to to hand pick a bunch of upsets yeah i completely agree with you and at some point 12 seeds and 11 seeds get so much run that like picking the five is almost contrarian um, and that's the case, I think, with two teams here. We'll get into that later. But, no, you make a good point that if you get that 12 seed wrong and there's another one that happens, like you said, it's like 50% of the games for that 5-12 or 6-11, you are not correct. But 
you could just, you know, confirm that three out of four and yeah, 12 seeds actually win at semi surprisingly high amount. Um, I think it's about 36% of the time they win games, whereas 10 seeds, it's at 39%, and then 11 seeds, 37% in that first round. So really around like one out of every three games, but, you know, one out of every three, one out of every four, because that's how many games are played in the first round, obviously. And it's really hard to pick. And I mean, there's some you can identify as better chances than others, but usually it's, you know, if it was easy to pick, everyone would do it. So I think it's a good strategy. It's not that exciting, but hey, just remember that that game that. is going to be literally 10 points out of 320. What? Hmm? Fair enough. So I had to drink some water. Oh, you got to stay hydrated. So then moving into maybe... That's some... important. Yeah. Moving into some maybe more specific strategies that you have or or things that you look to identify in in overall strategy i know before the podcast we had talked that you had you know kind of one basic strategy and then one new strategy you were going to try out this year could you tell us what that new strategy is oh i am more than happy to tell you what that new strategy is so basically it's just understanding percentages and chances of team advancing to a certain spot so if you go on most major betting websites i use bet rivers you can identify um team's futures odds to make the final four and i think gonzaga is something ridiculous like minus 230 um and that's basically an applied odds of 70 percent or higher i can actually do the math real quick boop bop beep in my head yeah it's right at 69 percent so it's a really nice percentage, um, but the nice. thing is, <laughs> what percent of brackets do you think will have Gonzaga in the Final Four? They are the number one all overall seed. They're undefeated. They're a very popular pick for the championship, but what percentage of brackets in just all of the ones filled out do you think will have Gonzaga in the Final Four? Um... I feel like there's no way it could realistically be any higher than, like, 50%. Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. I mean, reaching the Final Four is a big feat, and it's really hard to do, but if the odds makers are giving that a 75 or 70% odd, implied odds that it's going to happen, it's a really big leverage point just to put Gonzaga in your Final Four to start with. And I know it sounds really chalky, and it sounds like... When I say that out loud, it, it doesn't sound like a good strategy just because you obviously th- think that's going to be so popular. But the fact that you have a better chance of it hitting than what most percentage of brackets have it happening is is mean you're, you're a step up on the rest of the game. And you can kind of do that with every team and just look at their odds and just kind of think in your head, what percentage of brackets are going to have them advancing this far? And should I be part of that or should I be over? Should I be with the field? I think... Like Illinois is a good one, uh, Oklahoma State, Michigan as well. Fair enough. I can get behind that. That's an that's an interesting one. No, what's your reaction to that? I I like that. I do think um I think if you don't have Gonzaga in your Final Four, you'll and they do actually make it. Like you're just clearly at a severe disadvantage. But I actually had a question for Ryan. And, you know, in the NBA, we see guys who can have just, like, crazy individual impact on a game. Like, Luka can just single-handedly win a game for the Mavericks. And I was wondering if, like, the best college players on any given team, can they have that kind of impact that some guys in the NBA can have on just an individual game? Or is college more team-oriented and the better team will usually come out that day? No, that's a really good question, and I think it's a bit of a combination of the both compared to what it is in NBA, just because obviously the game is so much more elevated in the the NBA, but also the players who take over the games are way more elevated, and really just comes down to the opponents and the level of play versus certain teams. So the elite players in college basketball can definitely take over, Um, you know, your Jalen Suggs, Cade Cunningham's, etc., but... I feel like the way they take over is sometimes different than the way NBA players take over just because Kate has really learned how to be a facilitator over the years and he's really understood, you know, how to better, you know, increase his teammates and make them better. And that's why this team has really started to click down the 
down the road. And like Luca Garza understands as soon as he gets double teamed, he's going to kick it out to one of the 18 shooters that Iowa has. And Jalen Suggs is just a phenomenal role player. But I think that when the time comes and he showed that in the uh, West Coast Conference championship game against BYU, like he can take over a game and he can really show up. And I think that's why Gonzaga is really dangerous just because he's a you know, phenomenal NBA prospect might be top three. I mean, almost definitely top three might be number one, but he hasn't really been all that impressive, but it's just because Gonzaga has kind of gone through cruise control this season, but he really proved that he can be the MVP of any game. And I really think he's about to shine this tournament. Fair enough. Yeah, I I know. I don't know if that answered your question or not. Well, yeah, that so did. I guess to that and kind of an extenuating extension question off of that, mm-hmm. guys that come to mind as having kind of put the team on their back in recent history, Buddy Heald, Jimmer Fredette, um, those are two names that really come to mind as just having knockout tournaments. Is there any way in which you can see that and predict that? Um, are there any guys that you see this year is being able to have that kind of an impact or is that something that just kind of happens when it happens and that's the magic of the tournament, baby? Yeah, I think it is kind of something that happens when it happens. Um, I was listening to someone else talk about college basketball when the bracket came out and kind of compared this Gonzaga team to... 2008 Memphis and Derek Rose on that team was known as a good player. You know, he came out of Simeon as a high recruit, but that team ran around uh, like a couple other players and Chris Douglas Roberts is the main one off the top of my head. But when the time was needed, Derek Rose showed how talented he was. So that's why I really think that um, Suggs can show up just because he's such a good player. He's such a good talent. He's a like, Oh my god, he's so much fun to watch just because he can really, really take over any game. And I think Io DeSumo is in that bracket as well, just because I mean Illinois really needs him to go off if they're going to win, and I think he understands that, and I think they're really riding a high. Um same with Evan Mobley. I think he can just carry USC to an Elite Eight and then face off against Gonzaga and lose, but I still think that USC just has such a higher ceiling because they have Evan Mobley on their team. And that's the thing about these these players who can elevate their team is that it just increases their ceiling and i mean you saw that with south carolina in like 2013 i can't even remember the guy's name but they beat duke in the second round and i don't think a single person predicted it and it was because of their play of Sindarius thornwell there we go there we go Sindarius thornwell just kind of took that team to a whole nother level brought them to the final four as a seven seed and kind of shocked the world with that. Interesting. Gotta be, gotta boom. Yeah. I actually have a team like Oklahoma state cause I'm kind of a Cade Cunningham like fanboy, but they actually made my uh, final four on my Midwest side of my bracket just because I think like a guy like Cade Cunningham is good enough to just, carry Oklahoma State in this like this is what the college players live for you know like this is the time and when I'm looking at the teams and I just see that Cade Cunningham's the best player on either side of the floor it's a it's kind of hard to not rock with them you know no I completely understand that and that potential matchup between Illinois and Oklahoma State is one of my favorite opportunities of this entire bracket of the entire tournament um, I think that would be the game I'd look forward to most. You know, not even any championship game. I wish that was that would be a potential championship game. But Oklahoma State is really, you know, running with all cylinders right now. They lost to Texas in the Big 12 championship. But I would love, love, love for that matchup. Just a Cade-Io, you know, duel. And I think that would be a phenomenal game, a historical March Madness game. If if I had to make you bet, Ryan, uh, would you say a team from the Big Ten or Gonzaga wins the tournament? Would you take that or the field? I would take a team from the Big Ten or Gonzaga without uh, without hesitation. Yeah. I mean, you got your two one seeds say. in Michigan and Illinois, first of all. But, I mean, Michigan is 
wounded without Isaiah Livers. He's indefinitely out. They haven't really, they've been very vague. Um, I think he's for sure out until the final four, but they're still a really talented team and they have a gauntlet to face, but they could reasonably make the lead late, reasonably make the final four. And just, you know, even if the one seeds make it, that's three out of four teams right there, either Big Ten or Gonzaga. So I would definitely take that. Um, I, I do think that's a good question because there's a lot more teams that could win, obviously, but yeah, no. Give me Gonzaga. Give me the Big Ten. And uh, do you actually know who has the second best odds? Do they have odds like who wins the national championship? And do you know who has the second best odds right now? I believe it is Baylor. Um, I can't actually see what Illinois' odds are right now, but they are either second or third. I would personally put Illinois as a better team right now than Baylor. Um, Haslametrics is a college basketball analytical website that judges momentum and it's basically comparing their last five games to their average play over the last the whole season and Baylor's last five games were like their worst like five of their worst seven games they played all season so they're really really not playing well right now they have the one of the worst momentum metrics in the whole entire league and I don't really know I think they just got the yips or something they have a really talented team Uh, Scott Drew is a phenomenal coach kind of running it back from last year but I see them as a third favorite. I think Illinois should definitely be the second favorite. And then Michigan is the fourth. I don't really see that. You got Iowa at plus 1,700, Ohio State at plus 2,000. Same with Houston and Alabama. And then Oklahoma State is actually after that, ahead of uh, any of the three seeds. Interesting. Boom. Mm -hmm. So then going off that, Ryan, another question. The idea of being hot. How much do you buy into that, and how much is that a fallacy? Can teams flip the switch? Like, um, who's cold right now? Like, Michigan is a little bit cold compared to where they'd been. You know, started the season 19-1, and obviously still had a a phenomenal season, but lost a, a handful of games towards the end, couldn't get past Ohio State in Big Ten Tournament, Still comes in with the number one seed, but they're running a little bit cold. Maybe there's a better example out there. Maybe like Wisconsin ran extremely cold, barely act in. Can a team like Wisconsin flip the switch, do you think? Or are they running cold and it's the tournament? And if you're running cold, like, you know, sucks to suck. And then on the flip side of that, you've got a team like U of I who is like 14 and 1 in their last 15 games and like nine of those games are against teams in the tournament. Like is that just indicative of how phenomenal basketball they're playing right now and is that just going to ride them out? Yeah, so to answer the first part about fallacies of momentum, um I think there's a lot of confirmation bias in strategy when it comes to picking teams that are quote unquote hot right now because that is a very common strategy for people to do, but this is a whole new ball game. I mean, the tournament is just a whole other beast. Uh, if there were fans, it's even more of a beast, but now that everyone's in the same quarantine place, there really is just all neutral, no fans, not really anything to build off of energy in the game. But mm-hmm. I think it's just confirmation bias, just because the teams that do well usually did well before the tournament, but that's also usually just because they're good teams that do well. And then speaking on that, I mean, half the teams in the field are conference champions and a lot of them are 12 or lower seeds and no one ever talks about, you know, they have all the momentum in the world theoretically, but a lot of them don't win. Um, So like Oregon State and Georgetown both won their conference tournaments and I don't see them going past the round of 32 like as their ceiling. So I think that people just remember the teams that do really well, that are playing really well, that end up as champions and then think, oh, teams with momentum always do well. But there's also a lot of early round upsets. And at the same time, teams can always flip the switch. Um, When you said that off the top of my head, I remember the 2012 Kentucky team with Anthony Davis and, you know, just a bunch of good teams. Michael Kidd, Giltrist, Marcus Teague, Doran Lamb. They lost to Vanderbilt in the SEC tournament. It was their second loss of the year. Can you tell me who their first loss of the year was? Yeah. In 2012? Uh, it was the, yeah, uh, did, I was a sick buzzer beater. Anyways, 
I did. The I did shot. hear you yell it. But they, uh, they almost dropped to Florida right before that. So they weren't coming into the tournament like as this crazy momentous beast of a team. But then they just ran the table. They, I don't think they had a game within like one possession the entire tournament. So teams can really flip the switch. Like I think Baylor is definitely capable of flipping the switch. They got a 16 seed to really get things going, and then. I think they can hit the ground running after that. But in Michigan, it's not that they're playing poorly. It's just that they don't have Isaiah Livers. And I think those are two really different things where you have your full team, but you're just not finding it versus you're missing a couple people. So same with Villanova. Mm. Fair enough. So then the second part of that question, you do have a team like U of I who is on an absolute heater. How much of that do you have to buy into? Well, U of I is just, like, really good. I mean, oh, another thing I wanted to say is you have to determine who they are really hot and really cold against. I mean, Wisconsin is in the Big Ten, so they're going to face that gauntlet of the Big Ten. And, I mean, their last three games of the regular season were against Illinois, who's third in Ken Palm, Purdue, who's 13th in Ken Palm on the road, and then Iowa, also on the road, who's fifth in Ken Palm. So it's kind of like, I mean you can't expect these eight seats to win those games reasonably. And then they, they really competed with Iowa in the big 10 championship before losing to them. So I don't really think that they're cold. I just think that they faced such difficult competition rather than anything else. And I do, I mean, I like Illinois as is if they lost, I mean, their, their game went to overtime versus Ohio state. So Mm -hmm. people, you know, if there's a free throw made or missed, they lose that game. And then is there a whole different, narrative behind oh they're coming off a loss or they're not playing at their best but so momentum sometimes is on the turn of a dime based on a team winning or losing a really really close game and the fact that the coin fell their way i think changes the narrative a bit but i just really like illinois regardless of momentum and it's just kind of icing on the cake that they're playing really well is also oh yeah all right, I have one last kind of overarching question before we get into the, some of the contenders and break down who we think can actually win the tournament. And I think this is a good lead-in question. So you're, you might have to explain it to me, but there is a stat out there that is indicative mm-hmm. uh, with 95% confidence in the last 20 or 30 years, I forget what it is, that teams that have a... Teams that have won the tournament, 95% of the time, have had a top 20 offense and a top 20 defense at the end of the year. You know more about this stat than than I do. Can you break it down and kind of explain what that means and maybe who fulfills those requirements right now? Yeah, so basically speaking, I think since Ken Palm has existed almost, it's something like 19 out of the last 20 champions have all ranked in the top 20 in defense and then a bit lower percentage like 17 or 16 out of the last 20 have ranked top 20 in offense and defensive efficiency on Ken Palm so basically speaking um, teams without kryptonites have done well in the tournament because they don't fall short of that they don't have their weaknesses found their Achilles heel so teams like Iowa they have a you know, juggernaut offense, but they also have a 50 ranked defense. And I don't think they can get to that top 20 mark because keep in mind that the teams that finished top 20 in both have just won six games in a row. So obviously their efficiency margins are going to increase. But if you look at 2019, I mean, Virginia was second in offense and then fifth in defense. And if you look at 2018, I can't even remember who, who won in 2018. Was it Nova? It was UNC. Nova. Nova was, oh, it was uh, first in offense and second and eleventh in defense. And if you look at twenty seventeen, who was North Carolina, you got them at uh, ninth in offense and eleventh in defense. So they don't even have to be like number one in one of them. They just have to be really good at both mm-hmm. of them. And the teams that qualify for that are Gonzaga this year, Michigan with an asterisk because I think they're six and seven over the last two years without Isaiah Livers. Um, Illinois is seventh and fifth in offense and defense, respectively. And then the only other team is actually Houston um, in eighth offense and 15th in defense. But like I just said, it's teams that are right close, I think, qualify or 
you know, within conversation. If Purdue does really well, they're 23rd and 23rd right now. They could qualify. And then same with a couple other teams. Like USC is right outside um, on offense and 19th in defense. Uh, Florida State potentially could get there defensively. I actually don't think so on that. But UConn is actually 24th and 25th in offense and defense. They're one of my favorite sleeper picks to make the Final Four. Um, So... Really, I think this championship is between Gonzaga and Illinois and Baylor. And I think if you ran a simulation of this tournament a thousand times, one of those three teams would win it about, I don't know, three-fourths of the time. I don't know if that's too high. That sounds too high when I'm saying it, but definitely over 50-50. And I really think it's one of those three one seeds to lose. Damn. Mm -hmm. Noah, does that change who you're picking for your your championship? Uh, no. If I had to bet my life on it, I would bet Gonzaga to win this tournament. Uh, just from what I've watched, they just seem like a whole different beast compared to other uh, college teams. But I do like Illinois. That Illinois team has, like, they got some swagger to them, you know? They like mob as a team, and that's one of the, like, one of my favorite things I like to see from a college team. And... I don't really like that many other teams to win the tournament other than Gonzaga or Illinois. And it makes, it sounds like it makes sense because it sounds like they're two of the best teams in the country right now. Yeah. Gonzaga, Illinois championship, I think will be the most popular right behind or right in front of Gonzaga Baylor. And sorry, I just wanted to say this real quick. The last team to not rank top 20 in both was UConn in 2014 but they still rank 10, 10 in defense so really defensive top 20 efficiency i think is the more imperative part and uh, i'll just run through the teams who have ranked in the top 20 defensively and that's uh loyola chicago is actually first so that's a really interesting matchup in the second round with u of i loyola and then you got alabama tennessee illinois kansas michigan utah state which is a really fun 11 seed. I like them a lot. Gonzaga, VCU, San Diego State, Wisconsin, Arkansas, North Carolina, Houston, St. Bonaventure, Rutgers, USC, Clemson, who is kind of gross. They are at that 20 line. So if I had to bet my life on it, I mean, all of those teams are really good. Obviously, taking one of those teams is is not a hot take. And right outside of that top 20 is Oklahoma State, Purdue, and UConn. So I really, really like all those teams. I mean, I think they have a good chance to go on a deep run you know, barring a couple of them. I was I was thinking for this next part, Con, we could go um like division by division or, you know, um like start in the West. And Ryan, you can give us your mo your favorite to make the final four from that side or from that part of the bracket. And then maybe you can give us a sleeper from that side and your first round matchup. Your like favorite first round sleeper matchup. Does that sound good? Ooh, I like that a lot. Favorite first-round sleeper matchup, Final Four, each region. Yeah, that works. All right, so starting in the West, um, I feel like I could probably guess who you like from the West, but uh, you can go ahead and tell the listeners. Yeah, so obviously I am just really big on this Virginia team. Um, They have no COVID problems. They're playing at the top of their game. No, obviously I'm kidding. Uh, Gonzaga is definitely the favorite. Like I said, they have a 70% implied odds to make the Final Four, and the fact that they're not garnering that, you know, not ownership, but percentage of brackets having them in the Final Four is almost ridiculous. They have such an easy 8-9 matchup. Oklahoma and Missouri, I think, is the most boring game of the first round. And then Creighton and Virginia are both... I think the worst four and five respective seeds. Virginia isn't terrible. It's just the fact that they're dealing with COVID issues right now and they can't even get to Indy until Friday when the tournament is starting and they can't even practice until then either. So not only is Ohio a really tough team to prepare for, but they also won't have any time to prepare for them. Um, Not to go on a a tangent here, but Ohio is one of my favorite upset picks in the early round. I think Jason Preston is an elite, elite talent. They're really good inside, and I think they can really handle this Virginia defense, who isn't as good as they have been in years past. Uh, Moving forward, though, Creighton is an elite offense, but I just don't think they can keep up with Gonzaga. And I really just think Gonzaga has one of the easiest paths to the Final Four. In the Elite Eight, I think they might match up against Iowa. They might match up against Oregon, or they might match up against USC. That's the three teams I really see making it there. Kansas is also dealing with their own COVID issues, and they're just not as strong as I think they are, as the public thinks they are. 
Um, a lot of people will just see that Kansas name and then go ahead and put them in the Elite Eight, but they're not as talented. They're also dealing with their own issues. Uh, I think two of their star players are out or theoretically out. I know that um, I'm really bad with names. I apologize. Give me one second here. Uh, but what I was speaking before with, <laughs> uh, like, Iowa has a 50 and third defense, so I just really think that they can, you know, be stopped by that. Oregon has just three studs on their team, and I think they can really keep up. David McCormick tested positive, and I think Jalen Wilson is out for the tournament for Kansas, and those are two of the m- most prominent players on their team, pretty much. But Oregon lost to Oregon State in the final, but they also have Eugene Amorei. And uh, Quistorate, and those are just two studs that can really keep up with Iowa, and I just really like them. And Iowa, it's just hard to put them in the Final Four with their lack of defense. And like I said earlier in this podcast, I think Evan Mobley has a chance to just take USC wherever he wants them to go. And basically the ceiling of all of these teams I see is the Elite Eight, just because it's so hard to see Gonzaga lose any of these games. Um, but if we're going to go sleeper, I would probably pick USC over any of the other ones, just because I really think that's a rare choice that I think has a lot better chance of happening than maybe like the two or 3% of brackets that will actually have that just because, I mean, Evan Mobley's a stud. I think they were the best team in the Pac-12. They had a really, really good run about midway through the season before they hit a couple teams like Oregon. But I just really like this USC team. They're 14th in Ken Palm. They got a 19 ranked defense, 29th offense. Um... Yeah. Yeah, Evan Mobley is going to be a really good NBA player. But I actually really like um that Ohio Ohio Virginia matchup. Uh you already talked about how uh Jason Preston's like one of the best feel good stories from college basketball this year. But I actually watched that Ohio team play Illinois and I think they were beating Illinois mm-hmm. with like less than 10 seconds left by one and then Illinois um hit a three I think to win the game. They played them really close, and for a Virginia team that I think disappointed this year a little, and they're kind of known to have shaky first rounds, is uh, is that one of your uh, – do you like that matchup as an upset, potentially? Yeah, that's one of my favorite picks, honestly, over any of the 12 or even 11 seats to win, even any like the 10 seats to win. I just really like this Ohio team. I really like Ohio as a chance to make it to the Sweet 16 too, just because I think that UCSB has a really good chance of beating Creighton. I need to dive a lot more into that matchup, but I just don't think Creighton has the firepower to, I mean, they have the offensive firepower, but not the defensive firepower. And after Coach McDermott, you know, said those comments and got suspended, they just really haven't been the same team. And I just don't think they have, anything coming in and i know i talked about how teams can really change it but even if you pick them to lose you can feel good about that just because they'd have to face gonzaga in the sweet 16 anyways and i mean that's a really really tough game to get by but real quick again about usc they just have the size and talent to stop gonzaga because gonzaga does so much of their scoring from inside the uh just inside the arc not necessarily down low but just mid-range and that's where usc really flat thrives they're the second biggest team they have the second best defensive uh, two point percentage allowed at 42.2%. So I just really think that if there's a team that can match up and really take down the giant that is Gonzaga, it could be USC. Mm. It, do you think USC is one of the better matchups for Gonzaga in the entire tournament? Yeah, basically, I mean, hypothetically, if you're going to beat Gonzaga, you got to just force them to shoot threes. And they have a good three. I mean, they shoot fine. They're 57th in the nation. But they just do so much of their scoring with Drew Timmy and Jalen Suggs and Corey Kispert. And it's just so hard to stop those their starters. And basically, you just got to keep up with their offense. And they can post 100 points. I mean, they scored like 90 on Virginia, who should be, you know, 98 on Virginia, who should be the best defenses. But if you have that size and you get physical with them and you force them to have bad looks and not really get what they want and throw them off their game, I think that's how you beat them. You saw that with West Virginia. They... I think that was their closest game they played all season. They only won by five. So if you're going to beat them, you just got to get one of their studs into foul trouble potentially and just really force them off good looks. And I think USC is capable of that. Mm. Yeah, that's really good um, analysis on the you know, West. I'm saying that now, and I didn't even like really think that before we started this podcast, but I'm really diving into that potential matchup. And I mean, I'd really, really like to see that. I think yeah, USC that sounds is a really like a fun good game. dark coaster come out. We get to see Jalen Suggs versus Evan Mobley, too. 
Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, that would be so entertaining. And NBA scouts. I mean, I'd like to dreaming. be Riska first. <laughs> you could call. <him. laughs> what? Um, I, I don't want to take too much time here. I know people got some sleep or whatever, but I, the reason I like USC too is just because I don't see either of their first two round matchups as that scary. I mean, Wichita Drake, whoever comes out of that, is a good team, but I just think USC will be too much for them. And then, like I said about Kansas, just with their COVID issues, and I think they're a bit overseeded, I'm just not that scared of them this year. So, yeah. Should we move on to the next region? Yeah. Uh, let's get into the yes. East. Um, so, Michigan is the one seed in the East. And then Alabama and Texas are the two, three. Um, do you have? Can you give me any information on Alabama or Texas year this year? Because I'm really seeing either of them play. So both of them are really good at basketball. Um, Alabama is not the most efficient team on offense, but they just run at a breakneck pace, so they score a lot. So if you just look at their box score, you'll just think they're one of the better teams on offense just because they score like 100 points a game sometime. I mean, their conference tournament championship, they put up 80 on LSU. But really their defense is what has shined this year. I mean, they're really effective um, beyond the perimeter. They only allow their scoring from inside. So if you're... teams that depend on their three-point shooting a lot will really struggle against them. I definitely see them as really talented. I mean, they can beat anyone, but they also have... I I think that region is just the most wide-open region there is. Texas, I really, really like Texas at the beginning of the year. I do have a futures ticket on them. They might be just top to bottom, one of the most athletic and talented teams in the nation. I think Shaka Smart has finally found what he's looking for in this team, and they're just really, really all around. I mean, 21st in offense, 36 on defense. They just came out of winning the Big 12 tournament, and they've won five games in a row, and I just think they're really hitting their stride and really figuring out what their identity is. And it's just, just really tough to stop either of those two teams, but if you're asking me what team could do it, you want to ask me what team could do it? What team could do it? Thank you for asking. I think UConn is one of the more underrated teams in this uh, tournament. They have one of their studs in Book Night. Um, they only lost two of the game or three of the games with him, and the rest of them were all without Book Night, and people are forgetting that. And they're just a really good defensive team. I think they match up really well with Alabama just because they don't allow much scoring from beyond the arc, which is where Alabama does a lot of their scoring. And I just think they can take on this Texas team. So if there's a five seed or higher that makes the final four i would put a lot of money on it being uconn and we've seen in the past that a, usually a five seed or higher does make the final four hmm. Hmm. yeah so who is your um who's your most likely uh final four from this side of the region yeah this is the East region is the most wide open. I really don't know what to expect here. I mean, even like Michigan State could just go on a run with Izzo and like he's found ways to make it before as like a seven seed and a nine seed, I think. But if I had to pick one gun to the head, I'd probably pick Texas. I think Texas UConn is another potential matchup that I'd really love to see. But the fact that UConn would have to beat Alabama and then beat Texas, that just seems really unlikely and then beat Florida State or LSU or Michigan. Um, I think Texas can take on Abilene Christian, even though they have a really good def- defense, really forced a lot of turnovers, really throw you off your game. And I think BYU is is not an easier matchup, but a, a capable matchup for Texas. And if we're talking about momentum and me playing into any of them, it would probably be Texas just because they didn't really find their groove until about halfway through the season. But once they did, they have just been looking really good and taking down a lot of good teams in their in their path. I like that pick. I feel like I've seen Texas play a ton of ranked teams. Like, uh, they're, they were on ESPN a ton. And I always kind of like that um, for a team that gets pressured before the tournament in a lot of their games. So once hopefully once this tourney time comes and the games get into the clutch moments, um, Texas can come through because they've been in that situation before. Yeah, Matt Coleman can be unconscious sometimes. I mean, Jericho Sims always looks like the biggest guy on the f- floor. And, I mean, they just have a lot of talent and a lot of role players. And I think Shaka Smart's done a really good job there. All right. Uh, so moving into the south, we have Baylor as the one seed, Ohio State as the two seed, and Arkansas as the three seed. Um, can you give us any insight on those teams? Yeah, I mean, Baylor is the favorite to come out of there. Like I said, their last like five games have been one of their worst in like worst five out of the seven 
that they've played in a while. I mean, Jared Butler leads that team, and he's done a really good job there. And they got Davion Mitchell and uh, Teague and Jonathan Tukwama, Tatua. I can never pronounce that. He's just a really good role player. They got a lot of depth and just a lot of experience on their team, too. Um, This is almost the same exact team, minus one player, from last year. And they just shoot the lights out from beyond the arc. I mean, they're the number one shooting team in the nation from three. And that's the only thing that kind of worries me is that if they're, I mean, they have a lot of shooters. They got like three or four that can take over a game potentially. So that's the thing is that it's really hard for all of them to have an off night. But sometimes it's just collectively you don't feel it. And that's what worries me is that 36.7% of their points comes from beyond the arc. And that's 44th highest in the nation. So if you face a team that really, really just wants to shut down their shooting and really, really force them just to score inside and find creative ways to, you know, actually put up points they might be troubled um arkansas is another exciting team they also have a good pace and uh, colgate is a hilarious first round matchup just because they have very similar play styles i guess you could say uh, there'll be a lot of threes taken in that game there'll be a lot of points but eric musselman is one of my favorite coaches they won like seven straight games before the end of the regular season that's how they got to that top seed um, they fell to LSU in the SEC conference tournament, but honestly, they're they're not a sleeper pick. But I just feel like a lot of people are sleeping on them. I don't think Ohio State is that strong. They they don't really have that go to guy that could take over, and they lost like five of their last six games, I think, in regular season play. Um, they did look good against Illinois, but they only got there because Michigan didn't have Isaiah Livers, and that's how they beat them. Ohio State Did doesn't really play defense else? either. They're kind of all offense. Yeah, Oral Roberts is a very fun matchup at first. I mean, that game is going to be a shootout, and they got the leading score in the nation, so that sh- that should be kind of fun. So is Baylor your favorite from that region to make it out? Yeah, I mean, they're just kind of like a... I don't think anyone else has a talent to. Like, they're definitely the best team. It's just a matter of if they can actually put it all together again. In my impulse bracket, I had North Carolina beating them, but I don't think that's actually valid. But Purdue is really talented. They just have a, they're just really young and they've kind of flown under the radar this year as just like the fourth or fifth best team in the Big Ten. So they never really got any hype. They never really had any, you know, big wins other than Ohio State, who they might face up against in the Elite Eight. So Purdue can make it, but I really just think it's Baylor's to lose. All right. I got Baylor in my final yeah, four. That's actually. That's actually a really good point because Purdue is just a garbage organization in general. So <laughs> the fact that you even have them making it to the Sweet 16 is a little offensive to me personally. But I'll excuse it because you've given us a lot of other great advice and this just seems to be a singular faux pas from you. Can't be yeah, perfect, that's kind of rude. Pretty offensive yeah. to us Indiana Hoosiers, Ryan. Where do you have them? Are they in your final four? With us here, Indiana and uh, Northwestern are actually facing off in my uh, championship (laughs) game. Two really great organizations. It's going to be thirty-two to (laughs) twenty-nine. Oh god, that'd be the Big Ten toilet champion. Talking about bad basketball, Uh, Ryan. Yeah, seriously, Ryan. Real question: I did grow up a Florida Gators fan. I haven't paid much attention to them this year. What can you, in 30 seconds, tell me about the Gators? Oof, that is also a really good question. I really haven't paid attention to the Gators that much. Um, They're just kind of, like, okay. Like, they played well against teams they were supposed to play well against. They did not play well against teams they weren't supposed to play well against. Like, their best... I mean, they did beat West Virginia. That was a really good win. They beat Tennessee and LSU, I think. But that was earlier in the season, and I just feel like this is a bit different team. They're a well-rounded team. They can score in a lot of different ways. They have a pretty good defense. They're top 50 in both offensive and defensive efficiency. But, like, they don't really have a start. Like, Trey Mann's pretty good, and I I guess the rest of their team. But I just really, really am uninterested in this Virginia Tech matchup with them. I think both teams are kind of just, eh. And I don't really think either of them has a really good chance of going that far. Uh, Virginia Tech is just one of the most average basketball teams I've seen, so I wouldn't really put much to it. Yeah, they don't take care of the ball that well either, Florida. Fair enough. Alrighty, we are a little flushed for time, so 
the most interesting side of the whole bracket, the Midwest, Ryan. What break it down? I mean, there's a lot to unpack here. There is a lot to unpack here. Um, if we're short for time, basically my strategy is either put Illinois in your final. Time. You okay. keep going, right. and we'll we'll give you the hard cut okay. when we have to. <laughs> uh, basically, put Illinois in your final four. Or put Oklahoma State in your final four. And if you're going to put Illinois in your final four, have Oklahoma State lose in the first or second round. If you're going to put Oklahoma State in the final four, have Illinois drop to like Loyola Chicago, uh, Georgia Tech. It was just announced their star player was is out, is not traveling with the team, so they're really playing with a sore thumb. Uh, so I, I have very little confidence in them advancing. Loyal Chicago, best defense in the nation. I think they can play a gritty game with Illinois. They're like ninth in Ken Palm, so the analytics really love them. That would be a crazy upset that no one would really have in a really good game. So I think Oklahoma State or Illinois are poised to come out of this region. I really think it is Illinois to lose. Um, if you told me that neither of those teams made it out, I don't even know who else I'd pick. Tennessee like has the talent, has the firepower. It's just we haven't really seen it in a while. And Houston, I don't really know how to judge them. I mean, they haven't really played anyone all year. They're really elite defensively and surprisingly have a good offense, but I just don't think their strength of schedule, their strength of, their lack of strength of schedule might hurt them this tournament. Big fact. I like that. I kind of hope Illinois makes Thank it. Thank you. To the final four. Me too. I, I, to make I love this Illinois team so badly. That'd be that'd be really cool. I like that a lot. All right, Ryan. And... Sorry. You well, go. I was just going to say real quick, U of I had been irrelevant for like a decade. And yeah. to see them in relevancy is, is pretty sick as somebody who grew up watching them. All right, Ryan. Before we let you go. Can you give us mm-hmm. who you think will be in the national championship game and who you think will win? Yes, so I'm going to give you one better. I'm going to give you my final four just because Ooh, okay. given my championship is not as exciting as my final four just because, like I said, it's very rare for all one seeds to make. It's only happened once before, and seven out of the last seven tournaments have all featured at least one five seed or higher to make the uh, final four. So my championship or my final four includes Gonzaga versus UConn, and then uh, Baylor versus Illinois. So you got three one seeds and then a seven seed in there. I really like this UConn team. I really think they can make it out. But the East is wide open. Not entirely sure what's going to happen there. And then my championship game, I got Gonzaga versus Illinois. I think it's a bit chalky, but I think having UConn in there is a good way to make my bracket a bit different. And if I nail on all those four, I'm basically set. And then I got U of I taking down Gonzaga. I just think so many people are going to have Gonzaga as their winner. Um, they're implied about 30% chance, 33% chance to win. So I just think taking Illinois over them is a, something I want to root for. It's something that I hope would happen, and it's something that I really, really believe can happen. Boom. Well, Ryan, thank you for coming on the pod tonight. We appreciate your expertise as always, and we will most definitely call upon you again as the Bench Chatter reoccurring guest. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. Obviously, you can tell that I could talk a lot about these games. Um, I could go on and on about college basketball. I wish I knew more. There's so much to learn, especially about these underrated teams, but I really, really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks for coming, and thank you to all our listeners, and we'll see you on Sunday. See you guys. Deuces. Bye. Go Bears. Go Andy Dalton.